Hey there, welcome to Sports Planning, the podcast where we provide an entertaining and critical lens on sports issues. Today, I'm going to talk about anti-doping in the African and specifically the Kenyan context. It's been a big issue that's been in the news a lot lately, so I thought I'd dive into it. Now, you might have heard that Kenya is on the high-risk list for doping in athletics. What does this mean? It means a lot of Kenyan athletes are testing positive for banned substances. And when a country is on the high-risk list, it means that their athletes are subject to more frequent and rigorous testing. And recently, the Athletics Integrity Unit, the body that is in charge of dealing with integrity issues in athletics, such as cheating about your age and doping, they declared that there's a medically savvy operation in Kenya that is helping athletes to dope. It's a pretty crazy revelation too. Having in mind that this conclusion was made from only two cases, that is, the AIU found similarities in the testimony of only two athletes, but the statement put out implicated the whole of Kenya. It's definitely caused a lot of controversy, and it's only added salt to the injured reputation of Kenyan athletes. In fact, even average athletes who haven't been found guilty of anything are still being suspected. And this includes the recent London Marathon winner, Kelvin Kiptum. He's only 26 years old, and he ran the second fastest time in the history of the marathon. But because of all this doping conversation, people are looking at him with a skeptical eye. So, what's the deal with doping and anti-doping anyway? Well, first off, let's... Let me start by explaining what doping actually is. Basically, it's the use of performance-enhancing drugs, but according to WADA, it's also a lot more than that. Oh, let me explain what WADA is first. It stands for World Anti-Doping Agency, and it is the big boss when it comes to anti-doping. They oversee the implementation of World Anti-Doping Code, which is the document that sets out the rules and guidelines for anti-doping in sports, and this is globally. Now, when it comes to doping, it's not just about taking performance-enhancing drugs. According to WADA, there are also what they call anti-doping rule violations. This can include things like refusing to take a drug test, tampering with a sample. So tampering with a sample is, for example, you are an athlete who is providing a urine sample and you put alcohol in, in it that is tampering with a sample or providing false information. So basically, it's not just about what you take, it's also about what you do or don't do when it comes to testing and providing information. And if you violate all these anti-doping rule violations, you are considered a doper, and it's called doping. So Kenya was on the brink of being banned from the Olympics due to its high-risk status for doping in athletics. It was a serious blow to the country's reputation, and as a powerhouse in athletics, it would have had devastating consequences for Kenyan athletes. Just imagine, Elid Kipchoge would not have been allowed to even compete in the Olympics. It's a crazy, it's a crazy consequence. But the Kenyan government stepped in and pledged 5 million USD to the fight against doping to avoid the ban. This is a significant amount of money. Let me put it in perspective. According to the financial records for the 2021 um, from the World Anti-Doping Agency, the United States contributed roughly 2.3 million USD, and they are the, among the countries, if not the country, that funds WADA with a lot of money. 
So for a country like Kenya with a relatively small GDP compared to the USA, giving such a large sum of money, the 5 million USD against doping is a big deal. However, while Kenya's contribution is admirable, it also highlights some of the flaws in the anti-doping movement as set by WADA. Now, you wonder why or how we are bound to abide by WADA and the code? The way they got to be the honchos in anti-doping is they got UNESCO to adopt the code. And UNESCO came up with the International Convention Against Doping and Sport, where countries were lobbied to adopt it and ratify it. Have in mind that when WADA was coming up with this code and how to tackle the issue of anti-doping and sport, African countries were never invited to the table. In fact, it was only South Africa which was part of this, but they did not contribute significantly to how anti-doping should pan out in the world of sport. Still, African countries were allowed, were lobbied to adopt the convention. So this means that a country agrees to implement the anti-doping rules and regulations set out by WADA and to create a national anti-doping organization to enforce them. So in the context of Kenya, the national anti-doping organization uh, is called the Anti-Doping Agency of Kenya. Once a country adopts the convention, they also have to ratify it. Ratifying it means that they make the convention an official part of the country's laws. The countries have to agree to also fund the national anti-doping organizations. Kenya is a really interesting country in this aspect in that it has not only ratified the convention, it has criminalized doping such that you'd find athletes who are guilty of doping as set out in the WADA code. And as I explained, the ADRVs are not just uh, testing positive for a banned substance, but it also transcends to refusing to provide a test. Athletes who are guilty of doping as set out in the WADA code in Kenya, they can face jail time. And so when Kenya is also contributing this amount of money, they're not doing it out of goodwill or benevolence. They are in fact required to do so. But for a country with a relatively small budget for the sports tourism and culture ministry, giving a large sum of money to the fight against doping is a big deal and also interesting in this aspect. That ministry that, is, that oversees sports is massively underfunded and five million USD it represents approximately 3% of Kenya's entire budget for sports tourism and culture. That's a lot of money considering that federations and sports and even facilities in Kenya do not receive that much amount of money. So the mainstream narrative though right now is that Kenya got itself in this situation and it needs to find a way out. But what most people do not understand is that the anti-doping movement was created from a Western perspective and it doesn't always work for countries that don't have the financial muscle, muscle to compete with doping as WADA lays it out. In fact, a research paper authored by three scholars, one of them a Kenyan in the field of anti-doping, is called Brian Omurua, highlighted the challenges that African countries face when it comes to implementing anti-doping policies. One major issue is money. A lot of the young democracies in Africa do not have the money WADA asks to implement the code, and neither do their priorities even allow them to spend the money in the effort of anti-doping. 
countries in Africa are still trying to fight the wrongs of colonialism and dedicate their resources to issues such as fighting poverty and improving the education system and rolling out, for example, free education for all. But there's also the problem of education. Most athletes in Africa are not well educated about the WADA code and its regulations. In fact, many athletes have been caught doping simply because they don't know what they were doing was against the rules. So I'll give you an example, a story about Waivoni Souza, who is a, was a footballer. Um, he played for the national team, Arambe Stars. He played in for FC Lopez. He played in the Premier League in Kenya. He's a massive footballer. He's a great talent. So he was asked to undergo a doping test, and he refused to provide a sample. The doping control officer was a woman. This is a key detail in this whole process. Isuza refused to take the test, and as it is written in the ruling, yes, this thing went to the sports dispute tribunal. Isuza claimed he was not comfortable providing a sample to a lady. By the way, providing a sample, and according to the WADA code, an athlete has to be watched peeing. Like whoever is co collecting the urine sample has to watch the athlete peeing. So they don't give you, they don't tell you, hey, go to the bathroom and, and pee and bring a sample. No, they have to watch you pee. So it is worth noting that in the WADA code, there are rules that also guide the testing procedures. And one of the rules there is that the person overseeing the urine sample collection should be of the same gender as the athlete. And so when Isuza refused to provide a sample, he was, he was, even though he did not know, he was well within his rights to say, I'm not going to. So why do I say he didn't know? Because also in the ruling in the statement, he said he was not adequately educated about the anti-doping process. And it's interesting that even the sports dispute tribunal still upheld the ban because, he, because of all this, Waivon was was banned from the sport for four years. Um, and if you go on Twitter right now, Waivon has retired and it's on his pinned tweet and the caption is, it is good while it lasted. It was good while it lasted. And one of the comments there is someone says, it, la it was good and it lasted because you are cheating. But what, Isuza didn't even test positive for a banned substance. He just refused to provide, to provide a sample. I have been told, reliably informed, that he didn't retire because of, of this, but this was um, among many factors that led to him to retire, that led him to retire. This Isuza story is also interesting in this regard. He was banned for four years. Think about this. Four years is essentially one Olympic cycle. Four years in the life of an athlete is a lot of years. And for an athlete like Isuza, who competes in Kenya, where the situation is quite different from athletes in Europe or other developed countries, four years is also a, a lifetime. Consider these factors. Isuza solely depended on football to make a living. He is in a country where if he's banned from the sport, the chances of him making a living out of other means are one to zero. Honestly, they're just zero. Also, the nature of the ban is so radical. It requires that Isuza does not mingle with other athletes in the pitch or even in the gym. Why? Because among the 10 anti-doping rule violations, one is called prohibited association. Basically, an athlete who is clean is prohibited from being seen or working with anyone who is guilty of doping. Anyone even including coaches. To put it in simpler terms, this ban also affects your social life. 
And in the case of Isuza, it meant he cannot even coach. Like, of course, he was banned from playing, but he could not even coach. Less the people he is coaching are also banned. Moving on, let me talk about the banned substances. According to the Water Code, a substance is considered prohibited if it meets two of the following criteria. It has the potential to enhance performance, it poses a risk to the athlete's health, or it violates the spirit of sport. The concept of spirit of sport, I would say, assumes that everyone in the world has the same sporting culture. And if you think this is as easy as it sounds, let me give you an example of how sporting cultures differ. Take football, for example. Brazilians who are famous for showboating and dancing after scoring a goal, they get booed a lot in Europe. And a case in point is Vinicius, who plays for Real Madrid, and he gets a lot of hate when he's dancing after scoring a goal. And nowadays, even showboating, you could be yellow-carded in Europe if you start showboating. So... Brazilians, though, say this is a normal thing and this is how they play football in their culture. And in the context of anti-doping, this research by Brian and his fellow researchers, it also highlights how doping was part of some sports in the African context. For example, Senegal and specifically in wrestling. Also, the banned substances in the Wada Code are often subject to debate in the African context. For instance, cut, also known as mira, is a plant that contains a banned substance. Mira is commonly used in African countries and particularly in East Africa. It's not illegal and this banned substance in mira contains cathinone. It is a stimulant that is similar to amphetamine. However, under the Wada Code, cathinone is a substance that is banned in competition, meaning that if an athlete tests positive for it, they could face a ban. Like during, so there are, ban, there are substances that are banned during competition, and there are also substances that are banned entirely out of like sport, out of competition. Like if you, so for example, if today I am running and after the test, after the I'm, I'm done with running, they call me up and tell me, hey, well, you're going to be tested, and then I test positive for cathinone the substance in cut, I, if I have won the race, I, for example, would not get the medal or the prize money. And however, there are some substances like that cathinone, if they just randomly test me when I'm not competing, the nature also of the test is you have to, to say where you are so that anti-doping control officers can find you like and they can bump into you and they can like it's you are never informed that you're going to be tested like it should be as random as it gets so that at least do not cheat so if they test me out of competition in such an instance then i might not face a ban now i'm not justifying the use of mirado or any other banned substance sports but it's worth acknowledging that the cultural and regional context can affect how we perceive certain substances the rhetoric in mainstream media fuels the fight against anti-doping and rightly so. However, as I highlighted, there are glaring issues with the implementation of a document that is expensive and very tone deaf to the African context. Indeed, and in fact, Kenya does need to get rid of the doping issue. 
And I'm not saying athletes who are found guilty are innocent. And I am not encouraging doping in any way or form. I am just saying that the systems and rules that are banning these athletes are, from the start, setting them up for failure. And before we demonize them as cheats and corrupt and also start doubting the times they clock in the marathon, we need to assess the lens they are judged from. Is it fair or is it just? And is it still beating the drums of colonialism? My name is Stephanie Day, and thanks for listening. If you have comments, feedback, and constructive critique, please follow me on Twitter at wa underscore day, that is W-A underscore N-D-E-I, on Instagram at wa.nday, that is W-A dot N-D-E-I. And please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. Until next time, thank you for listening.